Good morning. My name is Steve Lombardo. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Bible Church, and it's my honor to uh, preach the word here this morning. If you got your Bibles, I invite you to take them and go to Genesis chapter uh, 44. That's going to be our spiritual food for this morning. If you use one of the few Bibles, turn to page 38, and that's uh, where we're going to be. Are you truly sorry, or are you just sorry that you got caught? Said every parent to every child that they've ever had. Any of you parents said that? Are you really sorry? Or are you just sorry you got caught? Repentance is doing a 180. You're, you're going this way, and something happens, or something stirs your mind or your intellect, or you get in trouble and you get caught, but you repent of that, and you go the other way. That is our definition of repentance, to turn, to go the other way, to turn a 180. The question is, Are you repentant because you feel bad about the punishment and the consequences of your choices? Or are you truly repentant because you realize how wrong your actions are and you are determined to change them so as to not do them again? The year was 1990. Our family lived in the suburb of Minneapolis, St. Paul. The snow had fallen just like it did there this past week. And uh, the moon was out, uh, the n- nights were uh, bright in, in Minnesota. I was spending the night at a friend's house, and it was a little bit after midnight, and we had this idea that we should go and um, ding-dong ditch people in the neighborhood. You guys know what ding-dong ditching is? <laughs> um, it's when you <laughs> ring the doorbell and then run away, so it's, it's a really fun thing. No, I'm not <laughs> endorsing this, kids. Any young people are here? Uh, I'm not endorsing it, but so we went out and did it and uh, came back. And then we got another idea. Why don't we take some eggs from the refrigerator and go and throw them at houses? And uh, no, this is bad, okay? <laughs> so we did. And uh, we, we went back into the house. Then we thought, why don't we go out, since we had such a good time the first two times, let's go out and ding-dong ditch again. And so we did, and I remember being across the street. My buddy was going to ding-dong ditch a house, and I was across the street hiding behind a bush. And I saw him. He was being real funny, sneaking up to the house, and he's like kind of doing a little dance, and very fun. Then he gets up there, and just before he hits the doorbell, the door rips open, and I see two giant hands come out, grab him, and pull him inside. <clears throat> I froze. I didn't know what to do. And then I tore off, ran back to his house, Went inside and I'm thinking, Darren, Darren's my buddy, Darren's dead. What, what's going to happen? And so I went and I laid down in bed and pretty, pretty soon the phone rang. And uh, kept ringing, kept ringing. And then all of a sudden the doorbell rang. And um, I heard people come in. And, uh, and then Darren came downstairs into the room and I pretend like I was sleeping. And Darren says, get up, we're going to court, he says. I was seventh grade, and uh, I got up, and there's a policeman there, and uh, and so um, he's talking a little bit with Darren and his parents, and then he takes me home, and we go out to the car, and I'm going to get in the front seat, and he says no, in the back seat. So I got in the back seat and uh, drove home, just very short drive, and uh, pulling into the driveway, and, I, and I'll never forget. The light was on, and my dad was standing in the entranceway, looking out. Uh-oh. Uh, 
And so I walk up and, and walk in the house and the policeman comes in and we walked upstairs and he sat down and talked with me and, and my, my parents and my parents were so disappointed. So disappointed uh, that I could do that. And I remember grieving. I was scared about the punishment. I was thinking about the punishment. But I wasn't really, that wasn't what hurt. What hurt was I knew the wrong that I did and it grieved everybody around me, including God. So I went to bed that night and got up early in the morning. Dad woke me up and went over to the house and washed the house that we egged. I don't know where Darren was. Darren was sleeping in. He, he wasn't repentant. And, uh, and washed the house and came back. And, and I remember thinking about the trouble that I was in, crying about it. I cried, but not because of the punishment, but because of my sin. In our study of Joseph's life, we come to Genesis 44. And we come and we see the brothers that have persecuted Joseph who were going to kill him, who sold him into slavery, now come back again to Joseph to get some more food during the famine. And we see Joseph puts his brothers to the test to see if they're really repentant. And so help me out, will you, church? It's okay to talk in church? Um, here, let me ask you some questions. Okay, Joseph's father was Jacob. Jacob's father was? Uh, and Isaac's father was? So we're talking about uh, probably 1900 B.C. Joseph is alive. He's living before King David and and the nation of Israel. Joseph is alive and living before Moses. Leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He, He comes to Egypt around the 1900 B.C. time. During the 12th dynasty of Egypt. It's, it's a, there's a good chance that Sesostris II was Pharaoh over Egypt. Now Joseph had how many brothers? Eleven? And their names were? Just kidding. No. He had eleven brothers. They didn't like Joseph at all. Joseph was a favorite. His father Jacob, he gave him a special gift uh, to, 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 to let everybody know that he was special. What was that gift that he gave him? A coat of many colors. So what did then the brothers end up doing with Joseph? They sold him into slavery. And so Joseph life takes a, a totally different trajectory. He would see great success, and yet he would be incarcerated in prison. He would leave a, lead a life of authority as he would interpret Pharaoh's dream and then be put in charge of the distribution of food during the years of famine. It is at this point of the story that Joseph's brothers come to Egypt for their tribe, for their clan, to get food. They do not recognize Joseph, but he recognized them. And he puts them to the test. What I think is happening is this. Joseph is seeing, are these the same brothers? Are these the same guys who wanted me killed 20 plus years ago? Had they grown up? Had they forgotten about Joseph and their sin? Would they act in this evil way even toward Joseph's brother? We're going to see in the story in a moment. All of this is in today's story. Now we're ready for Genesis chapter 44. And we're going to read a a little bit, talk a little bit, and read a little bit, okay? Genesis 44, starting at verse 1. 
Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. So in chapter 43, as we looked at last week, the brothers first came, and they they did get the grain. Joseph put their money back in their sack, and he said, leave one of your brothers here, because I want to know about your youngest brother that you told about, Benjamin, and I want to see him when you come back again. So keep Simeon here with me, kind of as a, as a down payment, as a, a way that they could come back, make sure that they come back. So Simeon has stayed in Egypt with Joseph. The rest of the brothers went back. They run out of food, and then they're going to come back. And they say to Jacob, we've got to bring Benjamin. Jacob doesn't like that idea. This is Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, and he, he allows him to go along. He said, we have to do it. So they come back, and now they get their money again, and Joseph does this. He puts their money back, and then the silver cup, his cup, he puts it into Benjamin's sack. Verse 3. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. When you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is that? Is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say, my lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. We are my lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. So this is the story. Joseph tests his brothers. Secondly, we see in the brothers signs of real repentance in the story. So as we're talking about repentance, and I'm going to be challenging you toward the latter end of this message to, to, to question yourself, to examine yourself, to see if you've repented of your sin before God. And we see some signs of real repentance here with the brothers. First, In verse 13, the brothers tore their clothes and then returned to the city, returned to where Joseph was. First, the brothers tore their clothing as a sign of heartfelt grief and remorse. Yes, appearances of remorse are are not proof positive that someone is genuinely repentant, but grief and a true hatred for sin ought to include this type of reaction to sin. Do you hate your sin? Are there times that you even weep over your sin? Second, all the brothers returned to the city. 
Even though Joseph Stewart had told them that only the man who had stole the cup needed to go back. Do you see that in the text there? When they are first overtaken and they're accused of this thing, they, they say, how could you accuse us? How could you speak such things? Behold, the money, if you find whichever one of your servants is found with it, shall die and we will be my Lord's servants. That's what the brothers said. That this is a harsh, whoever has it, they're dead and then we're all going to serve. Joseph, the steward, changes it. He says, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. So the brothers could have taken the easy way out. They could have said, okay, fine, then take Benjamin. He's the servant, and we're gone. That's essentially what they did with Joseph. They got rid of Joseph. Now they could have gotten rid of the other favorite son of Jacob. Here was the first phase of the final test of Joseph's brothers. Had they acted only in self-interest, they would have renounced Benjamin as a thief and then departed, went home. But these are not the same men who had done this to Joseph 22 years before. They were repenting. They were really repenting. And they were bearing the fruit of real repentance. Next sign. In verse 14, the brothers threw themselves to the ground. When the Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. The brothers fall prostrate before him, no longer seeking justice as before when they thought that they did no wrong, but now they can only throw themselves on Joseph's mercy. They've been broken and humbled. They've been shown that they are sinful and they are guilty. Real repentance demonstrates a deep humility and a surrender of one's own pride and rationalizations. They could rationalize that. Well, how did that cup get in there? Let's figure out how that is. We know that we're not guilty. Benjamin couldn't have taken it. But no, they throw themselves at the mercy of Joseph. Now listen to Judah, who's speaking on behalf of the brothers. Verse 17 Joseph says, Far be it for me that I should only do so. Only the man whose cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I might set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my Lord, my servant, my father, to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see this man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, 
Then, as his life is bound up with the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. The brothers, through Judah, confessed their sin to Joseph. They're acknowledging their sin before God. He says, God has uncovered, has found out the guilt of your servants. Now, could it be that it's not just the guilt of the cup? We are guilty men. And we can't do this with Benjamin as we had done with Joseph. You see the brother's secret sin had come back to haunt them. This was the uncovering of their sin. This was the judgment from God who had sovereignly orchestrated all of the events to lead up to this point. And Judah knows that he is guilty before God and he confesses to it. Judah doesn't blame Joseph. He doesn't blame Benjamin. He doesn't blame the famine. Rather, Judah takes upon himself the guilt because God has uncovered his guilt and he faces it head on. Do you blame shift? Is it ever your fault? Lastly, signs of real repentance. Judah is humble, transparent, and responsible for Benjamin's welfare. He takes the full responsibility. He's humble. We've done wrong. God has uncovered our sin. We're guilty. If this happens, our our father will die. So instead of letting it happen, please take me and let the rest go. Judah's speech, as well as this sacrificial offer, showed the spirit of self-sacrifice, of gentleness, of confession. He's revealing that God's grace has been working in his heart. He is a different person. He is a different man. His father is important. The relationship with his father is important. And with his brothers... And in Judah, we see of a picture of one that is to come. We see the Messiah, Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting? We see Joseph's life, and we've heard it this whole time. We're talking about Joseph. Jesus is the greater Joseph. But Jesus is, in this story, in this chapter 44, Jesus is the greater Judah. Judah is the tribe where Jesus was going to be born of. Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And here Judah is the one sacrificing, offering up himself as a sacrifice in place of his brother. Flip over to Revelation chapter 5. You only don't go to Genesis 44 to Revelation chapter 5, but I, I wanted to look up where you see this phrase, Lion of Judah. And in Revelation chapter 5, we get to see a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. This is an awesome picture of heaven. The Apostle John is, is, is taken to see these things that are to come, that is to come, and he sees the Lion of Judah. 
Revelation 5, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne with a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. God Almighty on the throne with this scroll, seven seals. This is the will of God. This is the purpose of God. This is the plans of God. This is salvation of God. And nobody can open it. No one can make it happen. No one can bring about forgiveness. No one can bring about justice. No one can conquer evil. The scroll remains closed. And John weeps because all hope is gone. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll with the seven seals. And so he looks, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as it had been slain, looking as it had been slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looks, and it's a lamb. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus coming right from the throne, the lion of Judah, the lamb of God, takes your sin and my sin on the cross because he loves us. You'd repent, turn from your way, turn to his way, the cross, where he shed his blood for your sin and for mine. Judah is a picture of Jesus. So back to our story. This was more than enough for Joseph. He saw real repentance in his brothers. And in Judah, not only could he forgive them, he could be reconciled to them. And we're going to see that in the following weeks as the story goes on. In our chapter today, he doesn't reveal himself. At the beginning of 45, he does. But think about it. The conditions that happened to Joseph in his life, he recreated them in such a way that the brothers had every opportunity to do the exact same thing to Benjamin as they did to Joseph, and yet they didn't. Rather, they repented. Judah's open and emotional appeal did not change Joseph's heart. It didn't change Joseph's heart. It, it merely revealed that Judah's heart had been changed. In short, Joseph was now able to reveal his identity because they genuinely repented and turned from their sin. They bore the fruit of repentance. It's one thing to say, I repent. And it's one thing to feel remorseful, but it's another thing to bear the fruit of true repentance. Regretting your sins and the consequences of those sins in your life is not enough. That sorrow for sin must turn to a hatred of sin, a desire to turn from it, and dependence upon God for the forgiveness of your sin and the freedom that you then receive from sin's power. So when you repent, is it real? Have you repented of your sin and of your self-rule and given in to the ruler of all there is and submitted to the Lord? Our third point this morning is sin, salvation, and self-examination. 
I wrote this down about repentance. See if you agree. Repentance is a necessary element in the salvation of a person. It is not a work whereby we earn our salvation from God. Rather, it is descriptive of what happens to a person when they come to saving faith. Do you agree? I scoured for somebody really important that would agree with it, and C.S. Lewis said this. He said, it is, Repentance is not something God demands of you before he will take you back. It is simply what going back to him is like. But here's the problem. And this is a huge problem, and I've been praying this week for you as you hear this. Here's the problem. Two billion people on our planet claim to be Christians. Around, right around 50% of Americans claim to be born-again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So who's correct? Are the numbers correct? Or is Jesus correct? So that would mean, then, that in our church there are people who think that they're on their way to heaven and they're on the broad road that leads to to destruction. There are people in the church who have, have prayed a prayer and think they're all good with God but have never repented of their sin. Village Bible Church? We've got a great church. Are the numbers lying or is Jesus lying? So let, let me give you three evidences of real repentance this morning so that you would examine yourself and to see if you're on the way of everlasting life. To check yourself. The scriptures give us great security as believers. Such a good thing that we can have security that our lives are in God's hands who loves us and saved us and gave of himself for us. And there's a security that comes. But the scriptures are also filled with lots of warnings, aren't they? So I don't want to not heed the warnings. I would rather warn, warn, warn so that you're sure of where you stand before God. Three signs of repentance. First, you acknowledge that your sin is a transgression against God. You have an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong. It's an offense to God. So you know sin. Sin is missing the mark. The mark is perfection. The mark is God. The mark is Jesus. But we... Go our own way. We each turn to our own way. And so we know that we are sinners. That there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong. In the Corinthian church, back in the first century, the Apostle Paul writes to them in the first letter to to Corinth, and he talks about all the things that they got wrong in the church. There's a lot of stuff that's messed up in the church. There's divisions in the church. There's sexual immorality in the church. There's idolatry in the church. And he gives it to them. They have an intellectual understanding that their sin is wrong. 
In the church today, is there sexual immorality? In the church today, is there idolatry? In the church today, is there divisions in the church? The first evidence of real repentance is that we acknowledge these things as sin. That we have an intellectual understanding of our sin. Second, you have a heartfelt sorrow for your sin. So you hate your sin in light of the cross. And you renounce your sin. In the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he he talks about that first letter. He says this, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly worldly grief produces death. So he wrote to them and he blasted them for the sin that was happening and they got saddened by it. They experienced godly sorrow which led to repentance and so Paul was happy for that. He was thankful for that, that God brought them through that. It wasn't just a a, a regret that leads to death. Our prisons are filled with people who are very remorseful. They're sorry they got caught. They have a lot of regret regret because they have to sit and rot in jail now. But unless God would... Use that sorrow, godly sorrow, to turn to repentance. It's all for naught. A heartfelt sorrow over your sin. Do you have a heartfelt sorrow over your sin? That is an affront to God Almighty. So many times in the church today, we, we want to really tell people quickly how good people are and how much God loves them. God does love them. He loves us. Not because of our righteousness. Not because of our goodness. No, you're far worse than you think you are. Your sin is a front to God Almighty who is perfect in His holiness and in His justice and in His righteousness. And you can never measure up to Him. Heartfelt sorrow over your sin. And third, third, thank you Lord. You turn from your sin and you follow Christ You make a decision of the will to turn from your sin, to forsake it, and to trust and obey Christ instead. Paul was happy with the Corinthians because that sorrow that was so great that you bore, it led to you repenting. Remember repentance? Turning 180 and going the other way. And that's what happens in salvation. You intellectually Acknowledge your sin. You, you do know it's sin. And you feel a heartfelt sorrow for it. It's an affront to God. And in that moment, because of God's grace, and it's only by His work, you turn. And you say, I'm going to go God's way. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin. It doesn't mean you won't ever struggle again. You might struggle with the same sin for years, but the, the, the trajectory of your life now has changed. And you're onward and upward as a new creation in Christ Jesus. As you turn to him in faith. Jesus is not just your get out of hell pass. As a believer. He's much more than that. You don't follow Jesus to be like your parents. Or to be like your family. Or to appease your wife. 
You don't ask Jesus into your heart to get blessed and to receive the blessings. No, you realize that your sin is an affront to God and you're going to turn and you're going to go His way because His way is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not there blocking the way. He's there inviting you to come to His way. Have you repented and placed your faith and trust in Christ? Three evidences of real repentance. Intellectual understanding, heartfelt sorrow, turning from your sin to follow Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you have repented and you, you're a believer and you're a follower of Christ, but you realize you need to come back to him. You started to go some way your own way you come to him today you never come to repentance and faith this is this is your day this can be your day you know that you can make all of heaven rejoice as you turn to christ by faith what a great and glorious thing let's pray heavenly father we thank you for this time and in these moments lord uh, we ask holy spirit that you would be uh, working within us repentance that God you would cause sorrow where there needs to be sorrow Lord that we would be truly filled with grief over our sin because it's not your way it's not the right way it's not the good way and that you would bring sorrow to our hearts in, even in this moment and in that sorrow Lord as we feel the weight of our sin, we turn to you by faith. Receive us, we pray. We thank you that you do. Forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we pray that this wouldn't be just merely a, a lip service, but this would be the cry of our heart to live for you because you died for us Lord we thank you for the cross we thank you for the resurrection that purchased our salvation and now Lord in this time we turn to you I believe help my unbelief Lord I turn from my way and turn to your way Lord I pray that all over Village Bible Church Lord we would be a people that are not just honoring you with our lips and our hearts are far from you, but that we would truly be living for you as we follow your ways. So Lord, we ask that our confession, that our walk would match our confession, that we would be a people who walk in repentance daily as we seek to live for you and to honor you. So thank you for the work, God, that you've done and will continue to do. And we pray, Lord, that as our church continues to grow, that this would be the light that we shine in this community and all over, that we are sinners. But Jesus saves. That there is a light. And his name is Jesus. Help us to be witnesses to that light, we pray, God. And we thank you 
for this your church and the people that you've brought in. Strengthen us to fulfill your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.